You're listening to The Encounter Podcast, featuring the latest messages and teachings by David Diga Hernandez. Don't forget to subscribe. The Encounter Podcast. Encounter the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. What happens when you dwell in the presence of God 24-7? And that is possible. First of all, what do I mean by dwelling in the presence of God? After all, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times. What I mean by dwelling in the presence of God is living with an awareness of his nearness. It's not as though God comes and goes or abandons us when we make mistakes and draws closer as we do better in life. No, the Holy Spirit faithfully abides with us. The question is, are we living a lifestyle of surrender to the influence of the Holy Spirit? And as you begin to live in that surrender, you begin to receive of his presence and many things begin to transpire in your life. I'm going to share a few of those with you right now. Number one, divine guidance. He'll point the way and bring clarity. Here's what the scripture says in Exodus chapter 13, verses 21 and 22. The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with the pillar of cloud and he provided light at night with the pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. And the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. Now here the scripture is describing the supernatural way in which God led the children of Israel as they moved about. In the daytime, there was a pillar of cloud. In the evening, in the night, there was a pillar of fire. God's guidance was there 24-7. Now, God is guiding us 24-7. He's speaking to you right now, whether you recognize it or not. He's guiding you. He's pointing the way. The question is, are you listening? Are you being attentive to his voice? Or is your life so fast-paced that there's no room for a moment's pause to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit? You can trust him even when you don't know where you're going, as long as you recognize his voice. Sometimes trust is the answer. We want the steps laid out before us. Lord, show me everything from step one all the way to the final step. And then I'll begin to walk this path in trust of your goodness. Well, no, often the Lord will tell us, take step one and I'll show you step two. And then when you take step two, then maybe I'll show you step three, but I want you to trust me in the process. You see, the children of Israel were guided supernaturally. They were not guided by a map or man's reasoning. They were not guided by human effort or human skill. It was God's supernatural guidance upon their lives that allowed them to know where to go. And this guidance, though it doesn't take the form of a literal pillar of cloud or a literal pillar of fire, this guidance is for you today. Why? because you live in the presence of God 24-7. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. He can't get any closer than dwelling within you. So this is not about begging God to come closer to us or begging God to be near to us. It's about recognizing that he already is near, that he already dwells within us. And this guidance comes with purpose. Maybe you're living in confusion or maybe you're living an aimless life. You don't quite know where you should go. You don't quite know what you should do. And you're wondering about your future, maybe even worrying about your future. Maybe you're worried that you won't fulfill God's purpose or you won't fulfill God's call. Well, this is where you have to begin to take steps of faith, trusting not in the picture that's painted for you, 
but in the character of God. You can trust God's character. And because you can trust God's character, you don't need the full story in order to begin on the first chapter. You can begin to walk now by faith. God's will is progressively revealed to the obedient. Please remember that. God's will is progressively revealed to the obedient. Again, we often want the full picture. Why? Because when we have the full picture, we get this sense of control. And now we trust in our own ability to bring about the steps that we see that need to be taken rather than just trusting that God will go before us. Confusion cannot remain when God guides you. I mentioned just a few moments ago that sometimes trust is the answer and we don't like that. We want the answer to be the specifics about God's will, the specifics about the next chapter in life, the specifics about the season in which we find ourselves. But often the answer is to just trust God. Often that is the only response that we can give because there are times in life where trials come, tragedy strikes, and confusion may abound in those moments. But so long as you keep your eyes on Jesus, so long as you lend your ear to the guidance of the Holy Spirit, every step of the way, God will guide you. This is why those who walk in the presence of God walk with perfect peace. Because deep down, they know that no matter where they are in life, God is the one who's guiding them. They walk in perfect peace knowing that their security is found in the nature of God. Their security is found in God's very character. And they can trust the genius mind that is God's mind. And they know that God has it all worked out. And that he's even factored in their mistakes. He's even factored in their flaws. Though, of course, we should strive for holiness. Though, of course, we ought to live holy. We also must recognize that God has factored in our humanity when it comes to his will. And so we go as he guides, that fire dwelling before us, that pillar of cloud dwelling before us. Now, I love the way the scripture words it here because look at verse 21. He guided them during the day with the pillar of cloud and he provided them light at night with the pillar of fire. You see, during the day, they could see more clearly. During the day, they could see the landscape. They had a better idea of where they were. But in the night seasons that's when things were probably a little more confusing. That's probably when they were a little less self-assured, a little less self-reliant. But even in the night seasons, the presence of God burned bright for them to see. Even in the darkness, a light would shine. My friend, no matter the seasons of your life, whether you're up or down, whether you're in a season of abundance or a season of challenge, a season of happiness and joy or a season of tragedy where you're praying that that joy within you holds fast and steady. In those seasons of life where you feel like you don't know where you're going, like you can't get a grasp concerning your surroundings, or you don't see anything, those are the seasons where that fire burns. And yes, God guides you even in the night seasons even in the confusion and the chaos, there's a fire by night. Even in the tragedies and the pain, there's a fire by night. Even when you feel like you've wasted too much time, you don't know where to go from here, there's a fire by night. That's the presence of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't just dwell with us in the seasons of light 
in the seasons of day. He dwells with us. He abides and guides, corrects, reveals the path forward, even in the night seasons. Number two, divine protection. So number one was divine guidance. Number two, divine protection. He'll scatter your enemies. Now, we as believers are, of course, to turn the other cheek. And that, of course, Jesus is saying, we should love our enemies. We should pray for those who persecute us. But there are some who come against us in the demonic realm. These are demonic beings that attack. And there are people who God will correct. See, as believers, we're called to bless everyone. We're not called to curse anyone. So even those who attack us in the natural realm, yes, we understand we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We understand that we fight against demonic powers. Yes, we understand that demonic powers sometimes attack the believer. But I'm talking now about enemies that are of the natural realm. Maybe a boss who just doesn't like the fact that you're a Christian. Maybe a professor or a teacher who takes issue with your faith. Maybe a family member who is jealous of what God has given to you or doesn't like the fact that you go to church or that you love Jesus or that you're a Christian. These people come against us. Now, we understand, spiritually speaking, they are not the enemy, but they still often come against us. People come against us. That's just a fact. And God's correction against them isn't just punishment for them coming against his children. In fact, in many instances, God's punishment can be a form of grace and compassion because God's punishment often comes with correction. And so even when our enemies are correct, think about this. We are so favored by God that even when they come against us, God favors them with his correction. Now, these are mysteries of the spirit. And some of you might be listening to this going, I don't quite understand what you're saying there. So let me just put it this way and then I'll move on to the primary point I'm making. When enemies come against us, I'm talking about natural enemies now. Even God's punishment, what we would perceive as judgment against them, ultimately can draw them closer to him. So we are so favored. We are so blessed. We are so loved by God that even those who come against us in some way or another receive God's compassion and mercy. And that's what we should pray. Having noted that very important point, let's read Psalm 68 verses 1 through 3. Taken, take into consideration here, this is an Old Testament concept and we filter all Old Testament concepts through New Testament truths. Psalm 68, one through three, rise up, O God, and scatter your enemies. Let those who hate God run for their lives, blow them away like smoke, melt them like wax in a fire, that the wicked perish in the presence of God, but let the godly rejoice. Let them be glad in God's presence let them be filled with joy. So to balance this point, yes, we acknowledge that when people come against God's children, God arises and he responds. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. God does correct our enemies. He even punishes our enemies. But this doesn't necessarily mean that's what we should wish for. We should pray that even in God's correction, there's grace. We should pray that even when God brings judgment, that ultimately that judgment is a refining fire that draws them to salvation. But taking these balances into consideration, we must remember this, that God will protect you. That God will turn the attacks of your enemies into favorable outcomes. The people who persecute you for your faith, God is gonna turn that situation around in your favor. Now, it may not always be what our flesh wants. See, our flesh sees 
one perspective and our spirit sees another. So when I say God's going to turn it out into your favor, sometimes the flesh is, yeah, that person's going to get fired or that teacher's going to lose their job or that family member is going to have calamity come on them. But that's not what we wish for. I believe God's going to turn that into your, your favorable outcome in that they'll be saved. In that even though they may be persecuting you now, that God will convict them or that he'll build your character through those attacks. Those are also favorable outcomes. Again, the flesh wants just revenge and everything to go the way we want it. But the spirit understands that God is protecting us. God is refining us. God is working things for our good. Even when we don't understand the good that he's working. See, when we quote scriptures like God works everything out for the good of those who love him, right? We quote scriptures like that. And sometimes we interpret those scriptures or we perceive them through the flesh. And so in our minds, everything working out for my good means the bills are going to get paid. My enemies are going to become my friends. Um, my persecutors are going to be punished. Uh, the finances will all fall into place, right? We kind of picture this ideal situation that begins to develop. And that's not exactly what that particular verse means. What, what's actually being described here is the fact that no matter what comes against us, God is doing something in us. And so therefore, sometimes we don't understand the good that God is working. But in either case, we have to remember that no matter what is happening, we have God's protection and we can trust him. It comes back to trust again. We can trust that he is protecting us and that whatever is going on around us, he's in control. And so when God arises, he scatters your enemies, not just demonic forces, but God can use the attacks of your natural attackers for your benefit. Whether or not you see that benefit, that's going to be up to whether or not you can perceive the situation in the spirit or not. So there's divine protection. He works things for our good. He scatters our enemies. There, there's something about someone who carries the presence of God. People think twice before they come against them. The divine character that's been developed in them speaks volumes and protects their reputation. God's hand protects them against physical attacks. God's, God's favor protects them against calamity outside of his will. God protects his children. So that's number two. So number one is divine guidance. Number two is divine protection. Number three, I love this one, divine companionship. So number one, divine guidance. He'll point the way and bring clarity. Number two, divine protection. He'll scatter your enemies. Number three, divine companionship. He'll be with you when nothing else brings comfort. He gives you rest. Watch this now. Exodus chapter 33. I'm going to read verse 14. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest everything will be fine for you. Now we understand that Moses was complained against. Moses had trouble. Not everything worked out exactly as Moses probably wanted it to work out. But even in all of that, he had the companionship of God. Oh my goodness. I feel such a strong anointing as I'm talking about this. Think about Job. You know, Job suffered so severely and he was pointed out by God precisely because he was such a faithful servant. Have you considered my servant Job? Satan brought calamity. Satan came to steal, kill, destroy. But he could only go so far because there was a hedge of protection about him. Now, Job wants one thing 
conversation with God. You read the entire narrative, and I believe as you read the entire narrative, it becomes clear that Job wanted a face-to-face. He just wanted a conversation with God. Lord, just explain to me what happened here. He just wants to talk to him. And then in the scripture, we see that the moment that Job catches a glimpse of the glory of God, he hides his face and he goes on to say something to the effect of, never mind, I don't even worry about answering my questions. He, he wasn't even interested in an answer once he saw God for who he was. Now that calamity, that suffering, this is something we don't want to hear. We don't want to hear this in the church anymore. We don't want to hear this in today's culture. There is a certain kind of joy that can only be found in suffering. Now, I'm not saying that God is cruel and he just wants us to suffer 24-7. What I'm saying is suffering is a part of life. And if you're not careful, please hear me now. If you're not careful, you're going to miss some wonderful fellowship with God because you did not perceive the opportunity in the season of suffering. In seasons of suffering, your worship is priceless. In seasons of suffering, your motives are purified. In seasons of suffering, your focus becomes clear. In seasons of suffering, you can sense the nearness of God more so than almost any other season. Now, this is not to say that God is only with us when we suffer. I'm saying that there's something about a trial. There's something about a difficult season that causes us to perceive and appreciate the presence of God in ways that we otherwise would not. And so even in those difficult seasons, we have that divine companionship. Oh, it's a treasure far above anything else you could possess here on earth. It's a treasure far above anything else that you could possess here on earth. There there is no number you can put on it in terms of monetary value. There is no material thing you can trade. There is no connection you can have with the human being that can compare. Nothing can compare to that divine fellowship that you have with God. And in those seasons of suffering, in those seasons of pain, that, that appreciation for, that awareness of is amplified. And, and you can sense this nearness that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Often, we become most like Jesus when we suffer. Now, again, let me balance this by reminding you, I'm not saying that the Christian life is all about suffering. I'm saying that the Christian life makes it so that suffering becomes an opportunity instead of wasted time. And it is in our suffering that we know this divine companionship. You walk with God 24-7. That means surrender to that, that, that influence of his presence. Of course, he's everywhere at all times, but you surrender to the influence of that presence. And when you come to these seasons where you are broken, his grace fills in that brokenness. When you feel like you're a thousand pieces shattered on the floor, his companionship is that glue that holds you together. And now you're not held together by self-reliance. You're not held together because of the blessings that abound around you. You're not held together because you got everything you thought you wanted. You're held together by something that is eternally 
more reliable, and that is the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I've seen that people who go through these seasons of crushing carry this weight of glory on them that could not be found in seasons of blessings. No, not every season will be one of suffering, but don't you dare waste that season of suffering. Don't waste that season of suffering with complaint. Don't waste that season of suffering with cynicism and the negative outlook on life. I can't tell you how many times I've received messages from Christians who say, everything's going wrong right now in my life. All of these bad things are happening. I'm suffering. And then they say something like, where is God? What is he doing? Why, why, isn't he, why is he ignoring me? Not realizing that, that God never promised that everything would be perfect, but that in those seasons of suffering, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And there's this beautiful nearness, this, this sweetness to his presence that you begin to know and you see another facet of God that you've never known before. So we can waste those seasons by feeling sorry for ourselves and saying, God is ignoring me and then prolong those seasons by allowing a negative outlook on life to develop, a cynicism in our heart to calcify or we can enjoy that divine companionship and enjoy rest on every side. And everything will be fine for us. Not because things are going perfect on the outside, but because, because we have his presence dwelling with us. That's number three, divine companionship. When nothing else brings comfort, his presence gives you rest. And finally, number four, divine favor. We'll read, let's read verse 14 again, and then onward. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Verse 15, then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. Watch this now. Verse 16, this is so powerful. This is Moses' conversation with God. And this is what Moses says. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people, if you don't go with us. Wow. For your presence among us sets us, your people, and me apart from all the other people on the earth. That's what makes us different. I like to tell people, there's not something special about me. And you can say this too, because you're a child of God. There's not something special about me. There's someone special about me. When you begin to live in the awareness of his presence, under the influence of his divine guidance, and you walk in obedience and surrender to his will, you begin to see the favor of God at work in your life. See, you already have that favor. As a born-again believer, you're being guided. You're being protected. You have that companionship. You have that favor. But your obedience or disobedience will determine whether or not you walk in the reality of that and in the awareness of that, we don't make use often of what God has given to us. As an example, you have what you have in your bank account. But if you lose your debit card, you've lost your spending power. But the amount that's in the account is still yours. You still have the same value in the account. It's still under your name. But until you get that debit card back, you're not going to be able to spend what's in there. In the same way, God has already given you guidance. God's already given you protection. God's already given you the companionship that is his presence. He's already given you favor. Now, whether or not you make use of that is determined by how you live. 
God doesn't take those things away. He doesn't remove his presence from a born again believer. But whether, whether or not you walk in the reality, in the influence, in the manifestation of those truths, all comes down to whether or not you surrender to the Holy Spirit and surrender to the Holy Spirit is not some mystical idea where I live in some like hypnotic state where I'm, you know, I'm humming songs of worship and I'm talking real lazily. That, that's not what I'm talking about. Surrender to the Holy Spirit isn't strange or, or even mystical. Surrender to the Holy Spirit is simply obeying him, obeying what God's word says. And then you walk in all of these things. You see these things come about as a reality demonstrated in your life. So I'm talking about number four, which is divine favor. He'll distinguish you. You stand out. There's something on you that is transforming, that is transformative even to others who come around you. To where now you're not looking for an atmosphere. You become one. You're not looking for an encounter with God. You're living in one. My friend, I don't want a visitation from God. I want to become his habitation. Not a visitation, habitation. And that is yours. And that habitation that glory that rests on you causes you, so to speak, to shine for others to see. And people recognize that there's something different about you. There's a grace you carry. Why? Not just because of what people sense around you, but because of the joy that's overflowing from you. The love and the peace that they sense around you. You know, there are some people, when you get around them, they just bring peace. I'll never forget growing up as, as a little boy, when I would visit my grandparents' house. Now, of course, my parents carried the presence of God on them. My siblings carried the presence of God on them. But you know, sometimes you don't recognize an atmosphere because you're in it so often. And so you kind of acclimate, if you will, to the spiritual temperature. But there were times I would go to my grandparents' house and when I would walk into my grandparents' house, still to this day, if you go to my grandparents' house, you just sense this peace. It's a normal looking home. There's pictures of their grandchildren, flowers. There's some tea sets that my grandma has. But when you go into that house, there's just this peace, this beautiful joy. And I remember feeling that even as a little boy, when I would go to their house, there was just this peace. In times where I was dealing with things as a teenager and, you know, as teenagers, there are things that they deal with that are very dark and it can be a confusing time often for teenagers. And I remember just going through the mental turmoil, the emotional turmoil, you know, there's all sorts of different elements that affect you as a teen. And I remember just walking into my grandma's house, my grandpa's house and just peace, peace. And what is that? that that's the fragrance, the aroma of his presence. You know, you carry that. But maybe you're not allowing that to come through because you're covering that aroma with complaint. They're covering that aroma with cynicism. You're covering that aroma with unforgiveness. You're covering that aroma with compromise. And you're not allowing that sweet fragrance of the spirit of God on your life to permeate the atmosphere around you because of the way you're living and thinking and talking. And, and, and instead of being peace-giving, there's something abrasive about your presence. Instead of there being this, this tranquility, there's a tension around you. Instead of people feeling compassion coming from you, they feel, they feel this angst or even this rejection that comes from you. I don't want any of that. I just want the presence. 
And that presence brings favor. What is the favor of God? Hear me now. Simply put, the favor of God is the presence of God on your life. (laughs) That's favor. I mean, you can talk to me in terms of, I mean, I believe God blesses his children financially, materially. I mean, the the scripture says very clearly, he gives all things to us for our enjoyment. Okay, we understand that. Um, But consider this, consider this. Well, I believe that God blesses his children financially. There's no, no one can convince me otherwise. It's in the scripture. Yes, God blesses his children financially. And yes, God favors some financially. But let me ask you this. What about that family in, let's say, some part of the world where it's illegal to believe the gospel? And because of their faith, they have to kind of live in certain conditions that people from other parts of the world wouldn't consider favorable. Are they not favored by God too? Are they not blessed? Of course they are. So then how then do we define the favor of God? The favor of God is that abiding presence. You can't replace that. You you give someone everything in the world. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet lose his own soul? Here's for example. Give someone all the money they could ever need. A big house, nice cars, fancy clothes, best meals they can eat, influence, fame, you name it. Everything the world has to offer. How well do you think they can enjoy that if they're tormented inside? I remember Steve Moctezuma, my brother here, said something to me one time. When, I think it was during um, the winter season and there was, a, there was something going around and so I caught it. I had a headache. I was, you know, body aches, the whole thing. And I remember saying to him, you know, it's hard to enjoy anything I, because of the body aches. He says, well, that's health. He says, health is, once you lose that, it's very difficult. And spiritually speaking, I think it goes even further than that. You take away joy and peace. You take away love. You take away those things that stabilize us within. What good is anything? My friend, that's why people who are very famous and wealthy are still miserable in many instances. Why? Because, because they may have the exterior taken care of, but they don't have what true favor is. What is true favor? True favor is that sweet presence of God on your life. Because if you have that, it doesn't matter. You can sleep in a five-star hotel or a motel with bedbugs, and it doesn't matter because you have the favor of God. You can drive the fanciest car or something that's barely making it, but if you have the favor of God, it doesn't matter. Now, I'm not saying again that, that if you are financially fruitful, that this is something that you shouldn't be. No, of course People should be financially fruitful. It helps to expand the kingdom. But I'm trying to help you shift the perspective by using material things as a way of example. We have to come back to the place where we recognize that the favor of God is his presence, period. Well, what is that? What does Moses say? If you don't personally go with, it's like, you got to come with us. Don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people if you don't Go with us for your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. I want to be like Moses. I want to be like Moses. I want want to truly and sincerely pray such things as, Lord, I don't want it if you're not in it. If you're not in it, I don't want it. If you don't go there, I don't want to go there. Again, coming back to the reality that the presence of God abides with us 24-7, I'm talking about living in the influence of that presence. 
living surrendered to that influence. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to know anyone that causes me to live outside of the influence of the presence of the Holy Spirit. I don't want it. I won't go. There are opportunities that come to this ministry, more like distractions disguised as opportunities. And I'll say, I don't want it, Lord. Not if you're not in it. There are doors that open up to us all the time. We get invitations from around the world. I don't want it, Lord, if you're not in it. I'm not saying that God's not with everyone or those people. I'm saying that for me, it's not God's will sometimes. I don't want it, Lord, if you're not in it. I remember one time in Southern California, we were looking to raise finances for a studio that we wanted to purchase. And I wanted that building so bad, I became emotionally wrapped up in it. And so this is what I said to the Lord. I said, Lord, I'm going to, you know me, I'm going to make this happen. I know how to do these things to make it happen. I said, so Lord, you have to stop me if this isn't your will. I'll, I, I'm very persistent. Once I have a goal, I will not back down until that goal is accomplished. And I said, Lord, you know this about me. It's a strength and it's also a challenge in many instances. So I said, Lord, if this isn't you, you have to slam that door in my face. Slam it in my face. Don't let me in. Because I'm so emotionally wrapped up in this, I can't figure out whether it's you or me that's pushing me. So I need your help with this. Not that the Holy Spirit pushes, but you get what I'm saying. I, I couldn't discern that particular instance. I couldn't discern his voice because I was so emotionally involved in wanting that particular building. So I said, Lord, you have to slam the door in my face if it's not you. And that's exactly what he did. It turns out that, well, I'll put it to you this way. We were planning on paying for the building and using, you know, of course, the building and all of the wonderful things we do with it, but we were planning to pay the monthly cost of that building through in-person gatherings on a weekly basis. Now check this out. That was the, the strategy. That was the, if you will, the, the natural strategy, the business strategy. Um, the, the model that we were going to use to make it work was we would do weekly meetings and the people would support it and then we would, we would use those resources to keep that property so we can use it for the kingdom of God. Well, that was the strategy, but we didn't know that we were just two months away from a global shutdown. You know what happened next. It was 2020. And so had we gone into that building, it would have caused us to suffer financially for years to come because we would not have recovered because we would not have been able to do in-person uh, meetings. Nobody would have come. Even if we did it, most people would not show up during that time. God slammed the door in my face and it was his favor. And that's what we desire. We desire his favor that we might be distinguished from the rest. Number one, divine guidance. He'll point the way and bring clarity. Two, divine protection. He'll scatter your enemies. Three, divine companionship. He'll be with you. Four, divine favor. He'll distinguish you. Now, Father, I pray you would help your people to live under the influence of your Holy Spirit's presence. Help us, Holy Spirit, to recognize your voice. Give us the grace to obey you, to trust you, and to live in the awareness of your presence. Precious Holy Spirit, remind us moment by moment of your nearness. 
Remind us moment by moment of your love, your companionship. Teach us to acknowledge and to appreciate the beauty of your presence in every moment of every day. We want 24-7 fellowship. I want you to say that out loud. Say, Lord, I want 24-7 fellowship. We thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. I want you to say it because you believe it. Say amen. Thank you for listening to The Encounter Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. Support the podcast by becoming a monthly supporter or making a one-time donation now. To give, just go to davidhernandezministries.com slash donate. Until next time, remember, nothing is impossible with God.